Difta, hello and welcome to the Gwellyn podcast series. My name is Emma Smith and in this series we will be bringing together local voices and knowledge of Mounts Bay to accompany the artwork Gwellyn. Gwellyn is a site-specific installation for the Penzance to Marazion coastal path, inspired by Cornwall's largest submerged forest hidden in Mounts Bay. Through this podcast series, we will introduce the artwork and share stories and expert accounts of this extraordinary landscape. In this first episode, we share an in-conversation between myself, artist Emma Smith, and director of Newland Art Gallery and Exchange, James Green, recorded at the very outset of the project and as an introduction to the work. My name is James Green. I'm a director of Newland Art Gallery and the Exchange. Those of you that don't know, Emma has, um, she's really one of our leading uh, practitioners specialising in socially engaged work uh, in the UK. And she, she's made work in, in many of our leading galleries, but most of her practice is around developing projects in public contexts. And they're, they're often characterised by a really profound and deep uh, exploration of place. And that usually, in fact, almost always involves great partnerships with people locally, as well as specialists from other places as well. And often really extraordinary numbers of people involved in these projects, sometimes hundreds, very often, as in the case with this commission, thousands of people um, in, involved in supporting the project. So I thought what we do, we start in a fairly obvious place, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, um, the project that you're, um, that you're developing. Yeah, sure. So this commission is for Mounts Bay, it's a spectacular bay, it's an extraordinary piece of landscape. And I was really taken in researching and thinking about this site and how actually there's a whole other layer of something really exceptionally extraordinary about this location, which is completely invisible, which is the fact that under this sea is a submerged forest and it's the largest submerged forest in Cornwall. It's huge, it spans the entire width of the bay and it goes out to sea for several kilometres and is a phenomenal piece of geology which just sits there completely quietly, understated and mostly invisible. At very, very low spring tides, you can see elements of it, but for the most part, it's a sort of silent component of this, of this magical space. And a lot of my work is about thinking about how we relate to each other and to the places we inhabit and what are the relationships that we might have with places that are not necessarily immediately obvious or that are the invisible elements of that space that we can have these sort of magical relationships to. And so the idea in this work is to think about how we can conjure up this forest through collective endeavour as a human population to imagine this extraordinary space that's in the bay and I think there's a starting point to thinking about that was an interest in how in the period that this forest would have grown, established and then submerged, if we trace that in relation to human evolution, as that was occurring, we were as humans evolving prefrontal synthesis, which is the front bit of the brain, which is the bit which allows us to imagine things that we can't see or even that we haven't experienced previously. So before that evolution of that bit of the brain, we could only really imagine things from memory. And this bit of the brain as it developed allowed us to piece together bits of knowledge and other things and experiences that we had to imagine something we can't see. And I just love the fact that by the time this forest had submerged, we then as a human population are able to imagine it. The, the submerged forest is well known to people who live locally, but very often not to people who visit. Yeah, so I know that bit of coastline quite well um, and the stretches either side of it. But I was quite interested in how 
it was an element of the landscape which wasn't something that felt that apparent um, or spoken about. And so somebody who kind of visited the site many, 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 many times felt that it was also hidden in that experience. And it's very easy for visitors, I think, to come to Penzance and because St Michael's Mount is such a monumental feature of that bay, that that becomes the kind of draw in that landscape. And actually it's sort of rooted in St Michael's Mount that we find this first clue of the, of the submerged forest because the name is Caraclose and Coes, which translates as grey rock in the wood. And, and it would have originally been in this wood and it wouldn't, but you know, it, the relationship of, of people coming to that as a site has radically changed over history. And, and I think that that clue really within St. Michael's Mount is a really nice starting point to thinking about this as a, as a potentially green space and how do we reimagine that? Do you, I mean, in your research, do you have a sort of a sense of, uh, you know, what the forest would have been like? I know, I know you sort of looked at the kind of the, the biodiversity of the, of the forest or the, the range of tree species and, and so on. I, I, do, you have a, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I've been trying to piece it together. What's really fascinating is that there's quite a bit of research happening at the moment, which has been really lovely to sort of sync up with the archaeological unit at Cornwall Council, currently researching particularly at the Marazion end. But I think what's fascinating is that that research into the site is actually relatively recent. And that's because for a very long time, for example, when you had alluvial mining going on, where there would have been all sorts of skill sets that would have been perfect for researching and dating elements of the forest there was a very strong belief that the forest had been covered up in the time of Noah's flood and because that explanation existed there was no need to investigate anything about it because there was a kind of an understanding of how it had happened and often submerged forests are called Noah's woods because of that and so lots of the research is fairly recent and so it's been really fascinating kind of piecing these bits that people have been doing in different ways together um, it was a very forageable wood and that's been something that's really struck me and of interest. So there was many species within the wood, so beech, birch, hazel, bramble, self-heal, lots of um, plants that could be used for uh, eating or for medicinal purposes. The way that it's submerged in the bay is quite different and in different ends of the bay because the geology across the bay is quite varied and that's also something I'd like to pull out through the project, the different processes of submergence all relate in some way to rising sea level and would have been caused by rising sea levels. So there's a clear connection in the work to climate emergency and, and raising awareness to that and thinking about how we might reflect on that productively. But I think also there's this fascinating, very site-specific local geology that plays out across the base at the Penzance and submergence would have been much quicker as a process. And so within the uh, forest, which is kind of at deeper levels beneath the seabed, you get much more examples of larger trees, whole trees being preserved. Whereas when you move to Mara's Iron End, as we have now still evidenced in the marshland that's at that end of the bay, sediment being moved across, creating still water pools and would have left trees. And it would have been quite marsh-like anyway, right across that area, but would have left trees and plants standing in still water for quite extensive periods of time. So there would have been kind of these sort of marsh periods of time of the submergence, which happened in a much slower, slower way. And you, and you sort of, made, I mean, the Noah myth is very interesting this, in this context. I mean, it's a site we, are, we, we know about the myths around St. Michael's Mount and so on. It's, a, it's quite a sort of mythic landscape as well as a, as a sort of geological one. Is that, I mean, is that, that's, that's something that, that interests you as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think what's fascinating is that as soon as you start researching any landscape, and particularly this one, it opens up 
immediate and really visceral connections to local folklore and legends and you can suddenly understand and see why certain narratives have grown up and one one that I've been particularly interested in exploring is the stories around Lioness which is the land that's disappeared between Land's End and the Isles of Scilly and that's obviously slightly around the corner from where we are on this site but there's been definitely allusions with, with various geologists researching the site that potentially the lived experience of watching the forest submerge in Mounts Bay gave cause to evoke these histories and stories around Lioness and that land submerging and so I think all of these things become really interconnected and obviously local stories are, you know arrive for a reason they're not arbitrary and they're very much about a lived experience in the landscape. Yeah and we I mean I, I don't know if this was still the plan but I think when you in an early stage of your approach you described perhaps using some of the same uh, wood species that have been tracked in the history of the site in the work that you're going to make is that proving to be achievable it is but it's going to be um primarily oak is what i'm working with what's kind of nice about oak is that that would have been the dominant forest plant species in the area but it's it's also the species that is in the forest and in the submerged forest that is hardy enough to survive being on that coastline as a sculptural work um, and so there's been a sort of balance of thinking about what species can be included versus how do you produce something that can live live on a coastline. Um, so the work that I'm going to be making is made of oak. The idea in the work is to produce what I'm calling a, um, seeing sticks. The title to the work is Gwellen, which in um, way in Cornish is refers to both sticks, posts, canes, wands, interestingly, and the kind of mag more magical elements of wood, uh, but also the act of viewing and being able to see. Um, it also relates actually to the word fields, and I quite like this as this kind of how we re-green the bay as a field. Uh, in our mind's eye. Um, but we're, I'm producing these series of sticks, which in effect are um, leaning posts or places to perch, rest, as an active invitation for people to take a moment at those stopping points to look out into the bay and imagine this submerged forest. In themselves, they'll be carved as kind of tree-like clusters so that they evoke a sense of the forest in themselves structurally, but they are to be used physically, they're, to, they're very tactile, they're to be held so that you get this contact with a wood um, that's from the forest, not directly, but that is of, of the species of, but that you have this sort of rest space to be able to use the imagination. And as part of that, I've been really interested in thinking about how do you think about what you do with your body when you're using your imagination and how can you place the body in such a way that best supports people in using their imagination to conjure this forest in the bay an experience that you can look out from and you know whatever that might be so some of them are being designed to rest on so you, somebody might want to come and just rest a chin somebody might want to come and lean on the side you might want to actually fully recline I've had some really interesting conversations with people around different positions that they use their imagination in or what the conditions might be for that so for example somebody might need to have a baby with them uh, they might need to be breastfeeding while they're sitting there having a moment um, so they might need something that allows them to perch and have a arm support I've definitely had uh, one person who um, who's a definite percher wanted to perch at a relatively high height but have a something within the rest structure that allowed her to lassoe the dog chain onto the dog lead onto the structure as well so that you can kind of have that then hands-free relaxation to imagine into the bay and so there's been all sorts of interesting little conversations that have been happening with local residents around what you do with the body and what the conditions are for that kind of moment of just stopping 
thinking about using your imagination and being, having that experience in the bay and all of that shaping the forms of this of this piece and, and the sizes of it. I think one of the things that I was thinking about was how we could realise a piece of work which operated sensitively in a context like like Mounts Bay, which is you know one of the most iconic coastal landscape views in the country, if not Europe and the world, and and it's much loved. You know, people. Um, have their own very personal kind of in- encounters with it but it was a delight to, to, to see your proposal and to see how sensitively you were working with the, the context and, and, and communities you know who have that relationship with place. I wonder if just in terms of the number of the kind of scale of presence on site across the kind of the, the path will have a kind of the sort of sufficient density of components for it to feel like it has a, a kind of a forest type presence or kind of a series of Copses along on, along the route. What sort of scale will they be? Are they all human scale or? Everything's designed to the human body, and that's to everybody as well. So, in terms of who I've been engaging in this process so far, of inviting people to think about body positions and and also you know taking people's measurements to scale in a very personalised way, tailored to people. That's been with babies, toddlers, children, teenagers, adults, and the elderly, and also thinking about the different ways in which people access that site and that may be by foot it may be by bicycle it may be by wheelchair it may be by mobility scooter and thinking about all the ways in which the body comes to that experience but so they're all scaled to the body and the idea really is to be very appreciative of the landscape in thinking about this invitation to come and reflect on and conjure this forest through the imagination and, and you know being able to kind of find out about it through the work is that although I'm making work, which will be hopefully very beautiful and fit within the landscape in a very complimentary way, it is about celebrating what is there naturally already and an invitation to come and experience that in greater depth rather than to just come and look at the artwork. And I think the way that I've been therefore thinking about how the work is situated along the path is that there will be these clusters that give this kind of unique experience and special invitation, but they're also, you know, they're not running in a continuous manner along the route so that it also lets that path breathe and be itself and all the other ways in which people use it. One of the things that you know seems really fascinating about the project is the sense in which and I suppose in people's experience of it is going to be it enables you to reflect on this extraordinary history of that site and there's a sense in which there's a almost like a sort of compression of time. There's a sense of the forest becoming, you know, is re-manifest and, and that helps you think a little bit about all of these aspects of its history. And I think this thing about the kind of layering of time, or thinking about time in a slightly different way, or thinking about time, experiencing uh, time in a way that perhaps is, non, is less linear than, you know, we might normally think about it. And that seems to be something that's, that's a, a theme in, in a number of your pieces of work I wonder if there's anything you want to say about that yeah so I'm interested in time in general and thinking about you know how we're looking if we're experiencing a landscape or experiencing a place collectively what does it mean to be in that place and how does the language of a place shape what we know about it so you know language and sounds of place often tell us lots about about a place that kind of connect us across time as the names in the bay do and so one of the things I've always interested in is what, how do you collapse those moments of time to think about our experiences maybe in ways that we don't normally. And I'm always fascinated that time is, you know, it's a construct and it's, um, it's something that's thought about very differently in different societies. In the West, 
time is often thought about as being linear. It's often thought about physically in relationship to the body. So we look to the future, we put the past behind us. Um, and that's how we sort of situate ourselves in relationship to it. In say, for example, in China, you would have, you'd flip that bodily relationship. So you would see the past because you know what's happened and you'd have your back to the future because you don't know what the future entails. And so culturally, there are always these very different ideas of where we are situated in relationship to time. And then obviously the types of work we do and the landscapes in which we engage then also impact our senses of time. So if you work in farming, farming, you know, time suddenly becomes important to be cyclical because you're working in a seasonal manner. And so I'm always interested in how we assume that we understand existence through this construct of time, which we know it's limited because it's why we have to have leap years and leap seconds and all the, you know, all the, the adjustments that make it try to fit reality, which it doesn't. Mm. Um, and so I'm always interested in how we can kind of challenge that a little bit and, and experience places in ways that aren't about a linear experience of place, but uh, to do with maybe being able to visit and imagine spaces across their histories. I've been in Cornwall for for a few years now, but it, and it might be just because I'm I'm rather uh, biased. But I always feel in the Cornish landscape, you're always aware of kind of a very long this compression of time. So there's geological time, but there's also evidence in the landscape of human intervention, and so it seems a kind of a particularly relevant thing to explore in in this context. I wondered if it's worth saying a little bit more about the engagement process and because uh, we just we've just so far talked about the current phase and there are many other stages in the cycle of this project's development and after, in fact after its after its development do you want to say something about that yeah sure so this first invitation for people to be involved in sort of sizing and positioning of the work is is yeah as you say the kind of research point really of the engagement process and then the idea will be to open up and share the research around the bay, the forest, and all the things that that links to, because it links to some really important subjects as well as some really interesting and fun ones. And so the idea is to kind of use it as a starting point, really, to open up lots of different conversations. So submerged forest is an extraordinary apt starting point for thinking about rising sea levels, climate emergency, changing coastlines, coastal development species biodiversity it actually the forest in itself is an extraordinary home for biodiversity and there's lots of really interesting things that happen within the petrified wood in terms of its process in submergence of becoming home to a lot of very diverse species within the bay and so there's also there's a biodiversity to be celebrated in what it affords but is also a starting point to important conversations around how that those get preserved and protected it's actually an important part of the work to think about reforesting as part of the process and so a pledge that I've made within the artwork is that for every piece of work that I make and every work is being made with wood through a sustainable process um, but I've also made a pledge as part of the piece that for every work that I make there will be a tree gifted locally and that won't be on the site that will be kind of into the into the local area but that there will be this re-greening process also as part of the, the, just the process of making the work and um, so that will be another stage for people to be involved in but also then thinking about what these species are. And then we can think beyond the kind of materiality of the work. There's obviously a huge breadth of amazing species to explore from the submerged forest, but then also along the coastline as it stands now. And so I'll be running some foraging activities, looking at what was there originally and would have been forageable in early human occupation of that site when the forest was not submerged. And how, when we look inland, lots of those species might be spotted or Kind of create this connection from the bay inland but then also to think about what's there 
what's there now. There'll be a series of podcasts that I'm producing, which will invite local residents, uh, specialists, researchers, um, and the, with the idea of bringing a really eclectic voice to experiences and knowledge of the Bay together to share and to make that publicly available as a resource, as well as an activity pack, which will be, there'll be invitations going out soon to involve local artists in that. And I'd really like to work with um, artists in the area to think about activities and things that we can do to engage in the site more widely. And then also to be sharing some of the actual kind of physical making skills in, in, in the production of the work and thinking about wood whittling and carving inviting people to be able to make their own seeing sticks that they can take anywhere they like and fancy doing some spot imagining. I wonder whether it might be useful to share some examples of other work. I'm conscious that there are themes that run right through your work and other projects and sometimes it's useful for people that don't know your work so well. Is there anything you wanted to, to flag? Previous works I thought might be a bit relevant to this, um, this commission. The, I wanted to share this as just an example of a project of where it's, it's a really common element of my work to think about a two-way process of making that's not just about me coming and doing something to a site, but about thinking who's in this site, how do they use it, what do, we, what do they do, what, what's their physical presence and how do I have a conversation with that in making a work. And this piece uh, was called The Whistling Orchestra. It was actually first commissioned in the UK and then there's a new version of it which was commissioned in Philadelphia in the US. And it's an orchestral work where I compose an orchestral score for human whistlers. Um, so everybody in the orchestra is a whistle and a whistler, but it is a full orchestral score. So there's all different sections and parts doing different things. And the interesting, fascinating thing in, in this work for me was that you can't compose for a human whistle in the same way as you can for a violin or any other instrument because it's not a fixed entity. It's a person and their whistle and what they whistle and what they want to whistle and how they can whistle is completely unique. And so there's a real process of bringing people who didn't know each other together. This was a random group of strangers who were just all people who just like whistling, who came together through an open call to then work out how they whistled, what they whistled, what, what notes they could hit, what tricks they could do, and to write a score really personalised to them. And, it's, and that's really something that I've been doing through this process here in Penzance to think about how I make these posts to invite this invitation to imagine the submerged forest, but in a way where those works are completely custom-made and tailor-made to the local population. Another work I thought I might show was a work, um, Territorium. My work is very, very varied, but it's all basically embedded in sites. So it all becomes very, very site specific, as is this work. So for Territorium, I made a wine. And the idea here was to think about how do you really get at an essence of a place? And is there such a thing as a taste of a place? And wine is very concerned with its territory, its terroir, and it it's all about its very particular locality and what that produces as a flavour. And so the idea here was to produce a wine which was as local as possible. So it was handpicked and destemmed for local residents. It, the wine didn't come into contact with any metal surface that would allow any change of flavour to the grape at all in any of the process. It was barrels. We had custom made some barrels from an oak from the same area of land. Um, and tools made to ferment it from the same oak. So it, it only came into contact with materials from its own growing space and with, there was no external yeast or anything added to produce this very, very site-specific flavour. But at the same time, thinking that when you're investigating anything site-specific, it always links us outwards and to the international. And so here I invited in sommelier, geologists, botanists, 
to look at how this vine actually, although it was hundreds of years old and a local varietal, had like all vines come out of Georgia, made its way across Northern Africa and up to Europe and had its land that it sits on, the geology connects it to central New Zealand, to South America. Um, and, and I think that's been another sort of key thing in thinking about the Mount Bay site is that I want to make something that's very, very specific about this submerged forest in Mount Bay, about this very particular local experience. But in, in research now, these things always in the, in the really like site specific connect us immediately out in really curious ways to elsewhere. And so we've already said, you know, in this emergence of the forest, we have, we have this connection out suddenly to the Isles of Scilly and, and the tales of Lioness. In the submerged forest species, there are shared species in Mounts Bay and on the Breton coastline. So you immediately have these kind of much older histories of connections of those coastlines. And so there's always these really interesting ways in which the locally specific folds us out into relationships on the international. I think there was a question that came in when you were just talking, which was, I think was about that, the, the importance to you of, uh, of working with local communities, particularly di diverse communities in all of the places that, you, that you're commissioned. It's really important to me in working as an artist that, A, I think art is not something that belongs to artists. It's something that we all do and have as part of us as human beings and as part of a practice of being a human being in the world. I, you know, I'm in the lucky position where I get to spend a lot of my time thinking about it but I think it's something that we all share and are involved in and it's important that for me in a making process that my making process is one in which just can create opportunities and space for other people to also have some of that time and opportunity and that that is something that's available you know to anybody and so it's been a real pleasure in thinking about groups and working on this project to think about how I can link with different groups locally so for example the Wild Young Parents project have been working with me on the shaping of the works in this first research phase we're a fantastic organisation um, based in Cornwall supporting young parents and doing really extraordinary work so it's really exciting to be working with them but yeah it's generally going to my approach to the whole of this engagement process around this work will be thinking about how I curate engagement so that we can create a wide-reaching outreach but also have moments of just open events that people can get involved in generally. We've rattled through the time I'm just wondering if, uh, if you could say something about your what you hope for in terms of the legacy for the project and I think you have plans to ensure that it has a, a kind of an active life. I've been shaping things like the podcast and these activity packs that we're developing through the process in such a way that they can just they're, they're resources that will be available then in the long run so that the work's there the research is there activities to be able to do around the site are all there as long-term resources that don't don't go away once I kind of have completed install and that are there for people to be able to use and access in the long run. Great so I, I think just to wrap it up we've got one final question I think that's come in which is which is a really really brilliant question it's about climate change and about what your sense is of how the work might address those bigger issues uh, which obviously are kind of hugely relevant to everybody in a project like this which is about a kind of changing landscape a very visibly changing landscape what are your what are your senses about war ambitions for the for the piece in that context so i think various elements or ways in which it's kind of influencing how i'm shaping the work so i would like to thread through all of the engagement that i do that there is the possibility to raise awareness to reflect on um, and think about what the key issues are and think about those practically in terms of what you actually do about it and then i suppose the task to myself in that is not about just saying, well, you know, we should all think about climate emergency, but it's to think, you know, oh, well, I'm an artist making an artwork and out of wood and in a public space. And what does that mean? And how do you work in ways that are sustainable and 
and climate sensitive and what's the kind of carbon footprint of that production process and so there's also a kind of internal reflection as much as there is an out external one to think about how do you produce a model for public artwork production which is ecologically friendly that that you know is able to raise those questions without causing more trouble than it's it's solving yeah no, huge huge questions i just really wanted to thank you again for responding to this opportunity in such a an extraordinary way i, I think you know many of us have had ambitions that the commission that we realise in Penzance might not only be really extraordinarily relevant to this site, but might be an exemplar for other public commission that might happen across Cornwall and, and, and across the southwest. And, and even at this sort of early stage in the project's delivery, it's clearly the case that you're going to you're going to deliver that. So thank you very much for that. And and uh, yeah, as I say, just encourage people to continue to be involved and of course enjoy and engage with the final work when realised. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for episode one. Please follow our further episodes to delve into the extraordinary stories of the submerged forest and Mounts Bay. This podcast series is produced in collaboration with Storylines, a community interest company specialising in gathering and sharing stories in creative ways. Gwellyn was commissioned by Cornwall Council via the Experience Project, which promotes experiential tourism and sustainable economic growth during the October to March period. Cornwall's funding supports activities that encourage a sustainable cultural tourism approach, connecting residents and visitors with the distinct historical, geographical and cultural assets of the local area and aims to leave a positive impact for the community and visitors alike. The project is co-funded by the European Regional Development Fund through the Interreg France England programme under the Natural and Cultural Heritage Funding category. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us again soon.